Have you noticed the South Korea culture boom? Okay. And so the, um, the Oscar, it goes to... Hong Joon-ho. Squid Game, the Korean killer, is officially Netflix's biggest series launch ever. You've seen BTS on Jimmy Fallon. They did, you know, they took over Grand Central Station. They were on Carpool Karaoke. They were on Ellen, you know, Today's Show. There's all kinds of mainstream audiences that are being exposed to these K-pop groups in a way that, you know, is unprecedented. But there is a different reality for the country just to the north. If they have made the decision, the very dangerous decision, and have risked their lives to try to escape North Korea, we meet them in the border area or in China, and we help move them through a sort of modern-day underground railroad. That's Hannah Song, president and CEO of Liberty in North Korea. Our vision is essentially our name, Liberty in North Korea, and working toward the day when 25 million North Korean people have achieved their freedom. That's a huge goal for Liberty in North Korea, which you'll hear us refer to simply as LINK. Hannah believes the South Korean culture wave is the perfect opportunity for the most difficult and ambitious branding project she's ever faced, rebranding North Korea. Welcome to Future Nonprofit, a podcast about what it will take to build and scale the nonprofit of tomorrow. I'm your host, Ted Vaughn, partner at Historic and author of Culture Built My Brand. Join me as we unpack the stories and lessons of today's most innovative leaders. Little did Hannah know her life experiences and previous career would become a superpower for her work at Link. To be honest, it was not really where I had planned to be. I think what I've realized when I kind of reflect back on my life, it's always a sort of series of happy accidents or unintentional happenings. But to start our story, we need to go back, way back to when Hannah first personally realized the power of storytelling. Is life. Hannah had become deeply interested in the Holocaust, and storytelling was helping her to empathize with the experiences of the people who lived through it. One movie would be the spark that changed her life. That movie, 1993's Schindler's List. It was difficult to believe that this had happened at some point in history. It was a very interesting sort of moral quandary, what people went through, the decisions they have to make. But it was really the opportunity to also understand, you get a glimpse of what life was like for so many of these Jews that were in these camps, that were going through this experience. As nonprofit leaders, we know the impact of storytelling on our audience, especially on our donors. But have you noticed the impact on your own life, your own leadership? For Hannah, Taking in those human stories laid the foundation for a much more critical and complex view of the world. It was such an atrocity, and it's so hard to understand how does something that great and grand happen in the world, and yet most of the world probably said they didn't know it was happening. We learn about history so often, I think that that's the boat we're in. But then you kind of 
flip that on its head and say there are so many things happening today, right now, history is being made. And the question is really, well, what am I doing? We all see ourselves through that lens of a noble, you know, warrior for the good. So how did your convictions and how did your choice to not just drift into apathy, which I think is so tempting to do and so easy to do, how did that for you connect to North Korea? I had always had an interest in some of the biggest issues that were happening around us, both in history and also in present day. So years ago, when the genocide in Sudan was happening, I wanted to do something. And I found myself feeling so desperate to want to get involved and do something, but I didn't know how I could do that at that time. Hannah had a passion to right these wrongs in the world, but North Korea was still far from her mind until one day when she picked up a book and read a powerful story. He was nine years old when he was put into one of North Korea's most brutal political prison camps. That book? The Aquariums of Pyongyang, 10 Years in the North Korean Gulag. And you're wondering, how does a nine-year-old end up in a political prison camp? And that's because three generations of his family was punished. North Korea has a multi-generational punishment policy. And his grandfather had been accused of betraying the government. And as a result, they put his grandmother, his parents, and him and his sister in a political prison camp. He documents over a decade of his life what it was like living in this camp for 10 years. And it was brutal. And it was so reminiscent of these memoirs I had read about what Nazi concentration camps were like. And I just remember thinking to myself, I wonder how they shut these camps down. I wonder what happened. I was so ignorant to what was happening in North Korea. And I get to the end and he manages to be released from the prison and he immediately escapes and goes on to South Korea. And I couldn't believe that I finished this book and I felt so unsettled. First of all, embarrassed that I never knew that this existed and was happening in North Korea. I think with how much knowledge and information we have in the world today, the fact that so few people probably know the truth about what's going on in North Korea. It was in that moment that I said, I need to figure out if there's anything that I can do. And that sort of was the impetus for me to get involved in this issue. That story was enough to reframe her views on the country and the people in it. But there was an untold story that hit even closer to home. My grandmother is actually from North Korea. But growing up, that meant nothing to me. I was born here in, in the United States. I didn't have a strong connection to my culture, my history, my heritage. But reading this book was the first time I felt a deep connection actually to being both Korean and even having North Korean in my family. For me, it was also a personal issue. My grandmother left North Korea to visit her brother in Japan. And during the time she was gone, the war broke out, the peninsula was divided, the borders were shut, and she was never able to go back again. She had been married at the time and had two children, and she was never able to see them again. She ended up going on to South Korea and remarrying, and that's where my mom was born. I didn't even know all of that about her life, actually, until I had already been working on this issue probably for a few years. She just had never shared that ever with my mom, her siblings, with anybody. Learning that, it was even more meaningful then because I'm convinced all the more North Korea is going to open up in our lifetime. And 
we are going to have an opportunity to go and there will be no excuse for anyone to say that we had no idea what was happening. And so I look forward to that day in going back and in looking for my family, my husband's family, and going back with our North Korean friends to look for their friends and family as well. Through those stories, Hannah's empathy for the people of North Korea grew. But it was an aha moment while working in advertising that helped Hannah realize she could actually use her expertise to do something about it. One of my biggest clients when I worked there was a CPG, massive CPG company, and worked on this campaign during my time at the agency. It was the Dove campaign, True Beauty. And it's still here today, which is really crazy to me that it was that successful that the campaign still exists today. Her picture looked like somebody I thought I would want to talk to and be friends with, like a happy, light, much younger, much brighter person. It's troubling. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Full disclosure, that's not the exact ad that Hannah worked on. That's just one of the many ads in a massively successful campaign. A campaign that, while having a powerful message, was at the end of the day meant to convince people to buy a certain brand of soap. Vic Harrison from Charity Water, she's shared this quote before, and it's this great quote by Nicholas Kristof, who says, Toothpaste is peddled with more sophistication than the world's most life-saving causes. That hits me so hard because that is so true and sad. What I realized by working in advertising and doing that kind of work was there is a direct connection to being able to create desire, to creating a perceived need, to creating brand affinity, to changing the way people physically feel about products or things or all of that through the incredible power of advertising, marketing, and PR. If only we could apply a quarter of the resources, a quarter of those tactics, a quarter of that knowledge to some of the world's greatest issues, wouldn't we be in a better place in terms of solving some of these problems that our world is facing today? Notice what she's doing. Just like any gifted leader, Hannah is pattern matching. What would it look like to take this industry best practice and apply it to another? That, with her growing passion for North Korea, set her on the path to becoming the president and CEO of Liberty in North Korea. Hannah is using what she learned in advertising to shift the story of North Korea from the country to the people within it. And when you learn what Link does, you just might want to join her. We actually help North Korean refugees escape. So if they have made the decision, the very dangerous decision, and have risked their lives to try to escape North Korea, we meet them in the border area or in China, and we help move them through a sort of modern-day underground railroad. And we help them to escape from China to Southeast Asia, where we then are able to help them eventually get to South Korea or the United States and resettle as refugees. Again, this is incredibly dangerous, this route. The risks that they face are not only in moving through so many of these countries, but because the Chinese government doesn't recognize them as refugees and will instead punish them or forcibly send them back where they will face severe punishment from the North Korean regime. But Hannah's empathy has allowed her to take it a step further. 
we really believe in working together with North Koreans that have escaped in terms of trying to develop and build the capacity within the community of North Korean defectors so that we can activate and cultivate and work with more sort of agents of change. One of the ways that we know we can accelerate change inside this incredibly closed country is by finding ways to secretly get information and technology into the country, into the hands of North Korean people so that they can become more aware of the outside world. In a way, this work is also about brand awareness, not for SOAP or campaign fundraising, but to help the North Korean people become more aware of the outside world. This is really challenging work because the information North Korean people have had access to about the outside world is extremely limited, and the stories they have been told are deeply ingrained. We've seen the impact of that happen throughout history in countries that are authoritarian, that are closed, where the government relies on the ability to propagandize or to indoctrinate people with their own propaganda. We saw this during the Cold War. We saw this behind the Iron Curtain. And this is still happening today as North Korea is one of the most closed authoritarian regimes to exist today. Outside of North Korea and its authoritarian propaganda machine, Hannah faces another big challenge, overcoming pre-existing media and public perceptions that make it harder to feel empathy for the people of North Korea. Before this interview and before you had learned about Liberty in North Korea and our work, if I were to ask you what the first thing is that comes to mind when you hear North Korea, what would you have said? Other than political drama and controversy, the movie, the interview... We are different people. We speak different languages. We have different faces, but inside we are same, same. Same, same, but different, but still same. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Konnichiwa. The interview probably did more damage to the cause than good. I don't want to say that there was no good. I What I appreciate about the film is in the back end, before the film came out, they were making all the right efforts to truly understand North Korea, to understand the situation, and to get it right. And I, I really appreciate that. And I actually think the depiction of some of the parts of the film are somewhat accurate. So it was an opportunity to show a depiction of North Korea to a more mainstream audience. The harm of that, though, was the same thing that, I don't know if you recall, even before the interview was Team America. And that also was a huge culture shaper as well on North Korea. If you don't recall, Team America was a film from 2004 in puppet style from the creators of South Park and the Book of Mormon, where the team, Team America, was fighting against Kim Jong-il and his fictitious army of Islamic terrorists and, of course, liberal Hollywood actors. So not exactly an accurate depiction of the country. When Kim Jong-il died, you have the leader of this country. When he died, Team America was trending on Twitter. That is, I think, how much of a culture shaper Team America was. And the same with the interview. And I think with the interview, these films make North Korea sometimes just seem like a joke or 
It scares media companies especially, but it scares companies away from North Korea. And we have come across this time and time again where corporations, companies, media platforms are nervous, are scared to partner with us, to do anything on the issue because they'll just chalk it up to saying it's too political of an issue. One of the biggest reasons why scale is so difficult for us organizationally and just on this issue is because either so few people know the truth about North Korea and what's happening, or they have a very different perception of what they think of when they hear North Korea. As a result, the general public has limited exposure to helpful media about North Korea. It's either wild comedy or provocative news centered on the dictatorship. Kim Jong-un, dictator and family man, brought his daughter and wife to the military parade, which featured more intercontinental ballistic missiles than ever before designed to reach U.S. targets. It's safe to say that shifting the perspective on North Korea from an international joke or nuclear threat to real people with real stories is difficult. But that's only the first hurdle. The second hurdle is one that all nonprofits face on a daily basis, overcoming apathy. I think apathy is so natural. I don't think that it's acceptable, but I think it's understandable. For myself, I have to say there are times that I find myself being apathetic as well. It can be overwhelming. These last few years have been incredibly overwhelming. It's felt like a massive dumpster fire in the world with everything going on. It's only natural sometimes, I think, for us to need to tune out. But I think how we tune out is important too. Uh, a guy I used to work with used to say this all the time. He says, you just have to be true to your convictions. And so I think the first thing is really knowing what are your convictions. What are the things that are important to you, that you believe in, that you stand for? I think that sometimes it's important to also just understand our limitations. I have a limitation of time, attention, resource, donations I can give. And I really have to be very resolute and clear to myself about that and laying that out. And again, I think that's okay too. Hannah is expressing empathy for what so many donors feel today, being overwhelmed by the significant amount of needs and injustices in the world. Combine this with the demand on nonprofits to do more with fewer resources, it's more important than ever to learn how to reach people with a clear message. Hannah recognizes and understands that not all people have the capacity to care about the people in North Korea. So she's making the most of her resources to reach a demographic she believes does have that capacity and empathy. How? By riding that South Korean culture wave we spoke about at the beginning of the show. And the demographic she's riding that wave with? Generation Z. I'm not Gen Z, but I subscribe to a lot of like Gen Z materials because it's it's a demographic and a, it's, a, it's a generation I need to understand better and I believe in so much. We just have to challenge ourselves to be more creative. You don't want to go after your typical audience, people who like care about the world or just care about refugees, trafficking, human rights issues. Korea is having its moment right now. Korean food, Korean culture, Korean movies. And we should absolutely be capitalizing on that. 
And these days, I'm always so impressed with young people and people all around the world of all ethnicities and cultures and different countries. They're watching Korean dramas and listening to K-pop, and they are loving Korean food. And so we are thinking to ourselves, well, a lot of times when somebody is interested in a country and their culture and their food, it's kind of all things that are associated what we've seen is people that naturally have a tendency toward those things tend to have an affinity to also caring then about peripheral issues. And when we introduce this issue of North Korean human rights or North Korean refugees, there has been a positive response of interest. It goes as far as say, well, then how do we collaborate? How do we collaborate on food? Can we find our North Korean friends who are chefs and entrepreneurs and are doing their own thing and bring that here? I understand what it means to be a consumer and to be somebody that may not care at all about these issues. So how do I get into their shoes? And I don't want to shove my issue down their throat, but I want them to be interested and I want it to be relevant. And if they like Korean food, maybe they'd like North Korean food. Hannah is tapping into a huge generational shift that's playing out in real time. Gen Zs and millennials aren't giving and engaging with nonprofits the same way their parents do. The stats support that reality. As younger generations enter adulthood, we're seeing giving go down. 2019 saw the lowest percentage of giving in 40 years. During COVID, most millennials gave not to nonprofits, but to family and friends. Behind those numbers, there's a more sobering reality. Half of today's 30-year-olds make less than their parents did at the same age. While your nonprofit might not be able to ride a massive cultural boom like Hannah is, it's still critical to explore new ways to connect with and engage Gen Zs and Millennials. Keep in mind that according to Changing Our World's 2019 Next Gen Report, 40% of Gen Zers and Millennials feel the need to really research a nonprofit or charity before donating. One third of them start that research on social media. Trends like these are incredibly important to understand as we move into the future. So start learning and researching now. You can subscribe to newsletters directed at the next generation and consume their content. This can give you deep insight to help you connect with and position your brand to accurately reflect Gen Z and millennials. Let's take a second to review Hannah's branding strategy so far. First is empathy for apathy. Hannah recognized and empathized with the apathetic. She looked for the demographic in which that apathy would be easier to overcome, leading her to hop on the Korean culture boom to reach younger generations. Second, use story, because that's how you get people to care. She recognized the power of stories to redirect the narrative. After all, it was a story that inspired her to radically change her life and join Link. The next step? is making people the brand. If I cannot help people to be interested in North Korean people stories and just how incredible they are, that to me was the most important thing at the end of the day was that you would walk away knowing Joseph's story or Tanbi's story or somebody else's story, not Hannah's story. That wasn't the most important thing. There was a need to be able to humanize the North Korea issue, the North Korean people, and for how would we define success of redefining North Korea, rebranding North Korea? It's that when we go out and you ask somebody, when you think about North Korea, what's the first thing you think about? that it could be a specific story of a North Korean person. It was a memoir they read, somebody's experience. 
Here's one example of the stories Link is focused on sharing. My father would turn on a small black radio, and our family would listen to illegal South Korean radio. We had to keep the volume low so that someone walking by couldn't hear it. We listened to South Korean radio like this for 10 years, hiding it from our neighbors and friends. In North Korea, listening to foreign radio is considered a crime against the state. If they had been caught, they could have faced years in a political prison camp or even execution. One day, my father left and never came back. My mom told me he had drowned at sea. And I believed that for almost a year. But eventually, I found the truth that he had escaped to South Korea. He was working three jobs to save up enough money to help the rest of our family escape. Then the pandemic started. It was the ultimate test of how well they had built a brand that people could trust. And given the nature of their work, there was a lot at stake. The hardest part was a feeling of helplessness, especially on our work. You had borders shutting down. We were getting requests for help from North Koreans who had escaped and were stuck in China. I mean, and China was the most shut down out of everywhere else. It was so frustrating and challenging and so restrictive and sad. It's like, here we are at home, safe, even if we're sheltering and we're, we're having to be indoors and not go out. But yet it was this notion of, one, North Korean people in North Korea, they don't really have freedom of movement to begin with, and yet the North Korean government is taking advantage of the situation to further enforce more surveillance and restrictions on movement and that kind of stuff. Just the incredible amount of death, people, we were hearing cases of people starving to death again in North Korea because they couldn't have access to resources and food and goods. And then people who were stuck, they were trying to escape, they couldn't go anywhere, they were hiding in shelters for months. It was just really, you felt helpless. But in those unimaginable constraints and that sense of helplessness, the community and brand Link built stood strong and helped them push through. The most positive thing about the pandemic was this incredible, deep, genuine sense of community that I felt very grateful for. And that was not just within like our staff and our team, but it was from our supporters. For donors to be emailing me and to be like, thank you for continuing to do this work, or we're so happy to support her. It was like People that had never reached out before, it was such an encouragement and it was so important, I think, for our team to continue to press on through the challenges we were facing. That element of community building has a compounding effect. As it grows around you, it draws in and engages even more people who want to be a part of something bigger and more meaningful. Our goal is to be able to recruit 25 million people, allies to this cause. People that will say, yes, I stand with the North Korean people. I believe in them. And that's it, simply. And people can go to withthenorthkoreanpeople.org. And that's literally all it is, is saying, just like you could stand with the Ukrainian people, you can stand with people in Afghanistan, come and say that you stand with the North Korean people. It is the simplest thing you can do. I promise you that it will combat apathy, get 25 million people to come alongside us and to support North Korean people if they don't even know what's going on in North Korea.
Anna has taken a complex issue and distilled it into a simple, actionable rally cry that is on track to inspire 25 million people to care and take action. To inspire you to do the same for your nonprofit, I want to leave you with three important principles we've learned from how Hannah is building her brand. First, if you build a community, people will show up in unexpected ways because we're all wired to want to belong to a community that offers meaning and purpose. Second, brand the people you're trying to serve. Humanize them and connect your donors to their common humanity because that will build empathy to overcome apathy. And lastly, Stories impact your own leadership. So tell stories, keep listening to stories, and allow stories of impact to shape how you lead. I'm Ted Vaughn, and this is Future Nonprofit. If you want to hear more stories from experts in the industry to learn how to take your nonprofit into the future, subscribe to the podcast and visit makehistoric.com. Future Nonprofit is a production of Lower Street and Historic Agency. Produced by Jackie Lamport, Mark Miller, Ben Crannell, James Bladel, and Ted Vaughn. Written by Jackie Lamport and Katie Whitehorn. Edited by Ben Crannell. And a special thanks to our guest, Hannah Song. Visit futurenonprofit.com for a transcript of this episode.